0: You are listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. This talk was given at 2007 Frankfurt Avenue. For more information, visit us at circleofhope.church.
1: Hey, y'all. I didn't introduce myself earlier. I'm Johnny. I use he, him pronouns. I want to introduce someone else to you now, though. Hannah Lehman is here. She is one of our cell leader coordinators. She helps, on a, she, she helps lead a worship
0: team. She serves on our Baby Goods Exchange team. She's on our leadership team. She's a doula. She is also a theologian. So she brings a lot of her gifts to the table, and she's going to share a message with us tonight that I'm looking forward to you. So let's welcome Hannah up front. All right. I'm going to try something. I know. I was like, do some cleaning. Come on. Um, Sorry, y'all over there. I'm going to put this up because I want to be able to see... Zoom people, or at least Zoom folks, to be able to see me. I'm just going to try something. Oh, hi. Hi. Cool. Is there a way I can see them? I don't know. Maybe oh, not. Ah, great. Great. I do. It's my job. Yeah. Hi, Zoom. I'll do my best. We'll see how this goes. Just wanted to say hello. All right. I'm going to do a little housekeeping first. We'll see into. Okay, well, thanks for having me. I haven't talked for a long time. I think I spoke on like a little bit before Christmas, before the pandemic, that was years ago now. So we'll try, all right. Um, So I'm Hannah, for those of you who don't know me, I use she, they pronouns, do use either of them. They work for me Um, and today we get to talk about joy which might feel, you know, after the week we've had, might feel a little bit strange. But go with me. It'll all work out in the end. And I'm trying to have a little bit of fun with this, too, because trying to, you know, like, embody the spirit of the message. (laughs) So let's try that. Um, So uh, this should work, right? This clicker? Great. Um, We need to turn it on. Yay, great. Tech, love it, hate it. All right, so this past week, uh, we, Wes and I, Wes is my partner, um, for the first time since December of 2019, saw his mom, which was kind of wild for a number of reasons. Um, but the lockdown in Shanghai has been really, really difficult, so she kind of risked a lot to come here, but like after years of not seeing your kids, that's what you do. Um, so she she made it over here. Um, and that time has been super challenging for his parents' mental health, like really, really challenging because I don't even know if we can imagine how bad the lockdown is here, <laughs> but you might have seen like images of, of, of Shanghai. Um, but Wes had an su- idea to surprise her by renting this Mazda Miata. So it's a two-person car. We found it uh, on Turo. And this is actually like a, it was a, a dream she had like 30 years ago. So like before Wes was born to be able to drive a Miata around. But then when you have five kids and you raise them and then do other things, like sometimes those dreams fall to the wayside. So Wes was like, I remember this. Um, so he found a car, we rented it, we took it around. Um, and it was really beautiful. I mean, look at that like red paint. It's like a gorgeous, gorgeous car. Um, it had Bose speakers. So we like spent so much time screaming pop tunes on the highway. (laughs) Um, It really felt like we were in the movies. It really had everything. Um, But I don't know if like any of you know me, it took me a little while to like release into enjoying the car. (laughs) Um, I kind of saw it as a death trap and I think like when I first got into the car, I turned to Wes and was like, remember two things, mistakes are deadly and every other driver is an idiot. (laughs) So I think I I sometimes get into this like momming mode and this is what happens and Wes was just really trying to do something that was delightful, that was full of joy for for the family, but I kind of felt like very tense initially and I could like really not control for our safety I was like oh my god if we do anything wrong we're dead Um, so it took me a little bit of time but eventually I was able to relax and enjoy taking the wheel I had forgotten how much I loved going fast. I love roller coasters. I love galloping on horses. Like I'm a South Dakotan. That's we don't wear helmets. We just go. Um, I love feeling the wind in my hair. I love that feeling of uh, being being free. And after a few days with the car, I felt like I had received a gift, a little awakening of that joyful inner child that I had been languishing inside of me. So, we go to the next one. Oh. There's a baby. I think there's another, there's a, is there a car video? It's okay, we can, we can skip over.
1: Got
0: you got a baby video, but... Video. I know, there's, there is a car video, but we'll just skip over it. The baby video can come at the end. Mm-hmm. See
1: the car
0: she wants so, it now, though. <laughs> yeah. There we go. You can see a little bit. Really like going 30 miles an hour feels fast in this car. Yeah. Like if you've ever, driven, I'd never driven a convertible before. I was like, wow, this is, this is super fun. Anyways, thank you for that. Um, we can go back to the beginning. No, Thank you, great. So we will skip past. There we go, all right. So um, a few weeks ago, Kristen spoke about making space for grief. Um, which is also a very, very important human practice. But today we're gonna talk about joy, something that for most may feel far away after this last week of heartbreaking rulings on Roe, climate change, indigenous sovereignty, or devastating migrant deaths in Texas. How can we feel joy in these times? How dare we feel pleasure or delight amidst these horrors? Yet softening to joy is our lifeline in times of struggle. It is vital to survival. In this talk, I'm not going to say a lot of new things, which is okay. I actually think that our church, our gatherings here, are rituals of remembering to help us not forget important knowings. All right. Let's see where we go. So I am not here to give you an exact definition of joy. I trust that you know it in your body somewhere, that you'll find a sense of it as we make our way through this collection of musings. What I can say is that we're not talking about toxic positivity, escapism, or avoidance. The Christian church has a long-standing habit of dismissing the gravity of the present reality of pain and death in this world by saying, Jesus will take care of it. It's fine, it's fine. We're going to heaven. It's fine, right? Everything's fine. And we actually might not be fine. There's so many things that point to us not being fine. Um, So it's not even really about being more optimistic. Joy might even be a part of something, part of something completely opposite to the kind of dismissal of death. Uh, It might actually be about facing our humanness. Black mixed race poet and farmer Ross Gay says joy is actually attending to death well. He says that joy has nothing to do with the ease and everything to do with the fact that we're all going to die. At the same time as something wonderful is happening, some connection is being made. We are also in the process of dying. And I think that recognition helps us not to take our connection and our time with one another for granted. We might not be fine and joy lives amidst that reality. Joy is not a privilege or just for those who have cash. I think that the other piece uh, that Ross is trying to get at is that like, it's not for the chosen few that joy is here. Um, although I do admit, I, I, I started with a, a story about a convertible, which maybe gets us, off the wrong, like, gets us on the wrong track, but joy should not be something that's held behind a paywall. It makes me think about these moments of connection that at least for me go unnoticed or about how song, art, dancing, and meals together are fuel for protest and resistance. Um, I have a slide. There's a song that my family loves. It's called Bayanko. And this is a song written to protest the American occupation of the Philippines, which happened in uh, 1898 to 1946. Just for a little history lesson. Um, but this is a, a Song that is like deeply in love with the Philippines. It's like full of pride, full of love. It's hugely galvanizing. And uh, this is a lovely picture of My Lolo at his like 80th birthday, singing it like fully, you know, gutturally loud. But you also see My Lola. My Lola's next to him, and she's like bent over in like tears right like out of love for her country that she can't really ever go back to at this point and it's not going to be the same if she were to go back so like you kind of see like that joy and grief can be cousins and they can kind of be in the same moment right so all right i believe that joy is a gift from god and our ancestors for times of struggle We're going to go ahead and take a look at the scripture for today. It would be awesome if somebody could read that aloud. I'll be up on the screen. Someone with good eyes.
1: (laughs) Psalm 30. I will exalt you, Lord. Lord. For you lifted me out of the depths and did not let my enemies gloat over me. Lord, my God, I called to you for help and you healed me. You, Lord, brought me up from the realm of the dead. You spared me from going down to the pit. Sing the praises of the Lord, you his faithful people. Praise his holy name. For his anger lasts only a moment, but his favor lasts a lifetime. Weeping may stay for the night. But rejoicing comes in the morning. When I felt secure, I said, I will never be shaken. Lord, when you favored me, you made my royal mountain stand firm. But when you hid your face, I was dismayed. To you, Lord, I called. To the Lord, I cried for mercy. What is gained if I am silenced, if I go down to the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it proclaim your faithfulness? Hear, Lord, and be merciful to me. Lord, be my help. You turned my wailing into dancing. You removed my sackcloth and clothed me with joy, that my heart may sing your praises and not be silent. Lord, my God, I will praise you forever.
0: Thank you. That one, is it, it's, it's a lot. There's a lot of feeling in that, in that psalm. Let's have a few noticings from this passage. The first thing is that God spares them from going down into the pit. Now this passage doesn't say exactly what the pit is, but maybe you can imagine what it could be. Maybe you are already well-versed in what going down to the pit means. Maybe you already know what it feels like to go down into the pit in your own body, right? So what words, and this, you can just shut these out, what words come to mind when you imagine the pit? Depression. Depression. Danger. Danger. Darkness. Darkness. Hopelessness. Hopelessness. Yeah. Loneliness. Loneliness. Yep. For me, cynicism and despair are some words that come up, too. And the thing we notice about when you go down into the pit is that when you're silenced, you lose your voice. It's back in in this one. Right? What is gained if I am silenced if I go down to the pit? You lose something of your essence when you go down to the pit. When I go down to the pit, I feel like nothing is worth doing. I feel entirely powerless. But how convenient is that for empire? How convenient is that for those institutions that oppress us? That we would feel so powerless, so voiceless, that we would give up on ourselves and our communities. Second, what I see in the passage is a pairing of grieving and rejoicing. It's part of our spiritual rhythm together, both and. Just as God is with us in our grieving, she is with us in our joy. And I think that joy can be the very embodiment of the presence of the spirit in our lives. Joy and grief are sisters. Grief is the rest and care we need to hold space for in response to the gravity of real injustice and loss in this world. Joy gives us energy to imagine and live into the just realities we deserve, especially as queer, BIPOC, disabled, immigrant, you name it, marginalized people who have been under assault by the systems bent on taking our lives. And thirdly, you can see in verse 11 that God is part of this movement of joy. God is pushing this. God is embodied in these, this turn from wailing to dancing. As you remove my sackcloth cloth and clothe me with joy. And this is a little bit of an aside, but I was looking at this passage right before coming up here, and I was like, clothed me with joy. And it actually made me think of an experience I had recently getting tattoos with my siblings. You know, here in Zoom, you can see tattoos. These are like old Filipino tattoos and markings, right? And um, in my family, they're actually kind of, it's kind of like a no-no to get tattoos um, because of colonization. So we kind of got them as a way of saying like, hey, we love being Filipino, which is really not the case in a lot of my family because of the internalized colonization kind of internalized hatred. So it ended up being like, it was yes, yes, a painful process to get them, but also like deeply joyful. And so I was like, ah, clothe me in joy. Like, yeah, I get that. Like that's a way that I feel that in my body. So anyways, I sometimes feel activism can feel really heavy, sober and super draining. But I feel like this image uh, is kind of about living into abundance and it has lightness to it. It has energy. And I think that joy is a spirit-driven energy for change, for our movement towards justice. And I think that God asks us to lead into joy, even when it feels impossible or very, very vulnerable. Joy is energy for resistance and change. This is from Audre Lorde. She writes, that another important way in which the erotic connection functions is the open and fearless underlining of my capacity for joy and the way my body stretches to music and opens into response harking to its deepest rhythm so every level upon which I sense also opens to the erotically satisfying experience whether it is dancing building a bookcase writing a poem or examining an idea For once we begin to feel deeply all the aspects of our lives, we begin to demand from ourselves and from our life pursuits that they feel in accordance with that joy, which we know ourselves to be capable of. Our erotic knowledge empowers us, becomes a lens through which we scrutinize all aspects of our existence, forcing us to evaluate those aspects honestly, in terms of their relative meaning within our lives. And this is a grave responsibility, projected from within each of us, not to settle for the convenient, the shoddy, the conventionally expected, nor merely safe. In other words, feeling deep joy helps us look more carefully at our lives and not settle for anything less than what actually serves us. You are galvanized by what you love. Joy stretches our imaginations to what could be and allows us to clarify and embody what is worth fighting for. We can be activists without forfeiting our joy. Ross says he's curious about a notion of justice that is in the process of exalting what it loves. And I'm gonna repeat that because I think it's good. A notion of justice that is in the process of exalting what it loves. Perhaps this means that we define ourselves by more than being against. For example, perhaps defining ourselves as anti-racist may only be part of the story, but expressions of BIPOC joy might offer a more spacious embodiment of the freedom we're laboring for. I also think the band Muna does a great job making songs that embody queer joy. So last year they made a, made a song um, called Silk Chiffon, which is super fun. And it's pure delight. And I want you all to like, listen to this on loud, on blast on the way home. Being queer. Yeah, do it. Yeah, do it. It's super fun. Is it? Oh, yeah, we have it. Let's play a little bit of it. Just enjoy it. guess <laughs> if it doesn't work it's okay we're just going with the flow Oh! <laughs> <That was a laughs> sounds very garbled let's just cut it i think we're good <laughs> Sounds kind of like aliens are singing it. Not that aliens are bad, but sounds kind of weird. Anyways, blast it on the way home. It'll be fun. Um, I really think that the, you know, being queer in a homophobic and heteronormative society is challenging and terrifying but it's also really wonderful and I think that that's one of the things that that song gets at. Like I listen to it and I just sometimes almost like cry with joy when I listen to it because it just embodies a sort of lightness so like yeah this is like really really good. God made us really really good (laughs) and like pleasure is really really good. Delight is really really good and these are things that like I've shut off all of those sensors during this time like those are just gone is what it feels like. So those, those songs like that help me. All right. Joy is feared by those in power because it is a disruptor of the status quo. It disrupts the expectations of our racist and capitalist society by saying, you are not what you produce. You are worthy of care, rest, delight, nourishment, and dancing in the streets kind of thriving. It allows you to see yourself and your community clearly, to feel your true belovedness, your inherent worth, so that you won't settle for anything less than what you deserve. Its disruptive power is why we see expressions of joy being policed. Joy doesn't have to be an extravagant party or Mazda Miata. Joy can simply be in taking a rest and being yourself, and even those expressions of joy are policed in our society. So I'm going to read an excerpt uh, from Loitering by Ross Gay, the guy that I talked about earlier in his book of delights. It's long, but let's use this as an exercise to just take in, take our time um, and enjoy his words. You can close your eyes, do whatever you need to do to just be in the moment. Webster's definition of loiter reads thus, to stand or wait around idly without apparent purpose and to travel indolently with frequent pauses. Among the synonyms for this behavior are linger, loaf, laze, lounge, lollygag, dawdle, amble, saunter, meander, putter, dilly-dally, and mosey. Any one of those words in the wrong frame of mind might be considered a critique, or when noun, an epithet. Indeed, lollygag was one of the words my mom would use to cajole us while jingling her keys, while she was waiting on us, which judging from the visceral response I had while writing that memory must have been not infrequent. All of these words to me imply having a nice day. They imply having the best day. They also imply being unproductive, which leads to being even if only temporarily non-consumptive and this is a crime in America and more explicitly criminal, depending on any number of quickly apprehended visual cues. For instance, the darker your skin, the more likely you are to be loitering, though a Patagonia jacket could do some work to disrupt that perception. A Patagonia jacket, colorful pants, tree-torn sneakers with short socks and an Ivy League baseball cap, and a thick book that is not the Bible, and you're almost golden, almost. It occurs to me that laughter and loitering are kissing cousins, as both bespeak an interruption of production and consumption. It's probably for this reason that that I have been among groups of non-white people laughing hard who have been shushed in a Qdoba in Bloomington, in a bar in Fishtown, in the Harvard Club at Harvard. The shushing, perhaps, reminds us how threatening to the order our bodies are in non-productive, non-consumptive delight. The moment of laughter not only makes consumption impossible, but if you laugh, if the laugh is hard enough, if the talk is just right, food or drink might just fly out of your mouth. If not, and this hurts your nose. And if your body is supposed to be one of the consumables, if it has been, if it is one of the consumables around which so many ideas of production and consumption have been structured in this country, well, there you go. There's a Carrie Mae Weems photograph of a woman in what looks to be some kind of textile factory with an angel embroidered to the left breast of her shirt where her heart resides. The woman, like the angel, has her arms splayed wide, almost in ecstasy, as though to embrace everything, so in the midst of her glee is she. Every time I see that photo, after I smile and have a genuine bodily opening on account of witnessing this delight, which is a moment of black delight, I look behind her for the boss. Uh Uh-oh, I think. You're in a moment of non-productive delight. Heads up which points to another of the synonyms for loitering, which I almost wrote as delight, which is taking one's time. For while the previous list of synonyms allude to time, taking one's time makes it kind of plain. For the crime of loitering, the idea of it is about ownership of one's own time, which must be sometimes wrested from the assumed owners of it, who are not you, back to the rightful who is love that passage. I love so many things about this passage, but one of the things I love most is how joy feels so much more like a deep breath than like anxiously trying to be happy. Um, it's feeling so at ease that you can receive that big belly laugh as a gift from the spirit, letting it overtake you without looking over your shoulder for the boss because your time and body, well, they are yours This talk of delight also reminds me of a Filipino word, gigil. So maybe you've heard this. It kind of sounds like giggle, (laughs) but it's kind of untranslatable, but it's essentially that overwhelming and uncontrollable feeling of delight that you get when you see like a cute puppy or a kitten or a baby and you just have to snuggle it. This is where the baby video would have been. So imagine a very, very cute baby there. (laughs) It's okay. So like, have you laughed with the baby before? Like laughing with the baby is one of the best things ever. Um, It's one of those moments of connection and you want to see the baby? Wes is like, I want to see the baby. Okay. If you have the baby, you could show the baby. Let's do it. This is our niece. and you wanna like swoop in there and like pinch cheeks and like snuggle. That like overwhelming uncontrollable urge, right? Um, I feel like the time that I've felt this the most is, was actually when I got my, my last dog, Lincoln. And people would hear me talk to Lincoln and they would come in and ask if something was wrong. Like I was that weird. Like it was an entirely different high pitched voice. <laughs> They'd just be, you know, I'd be just totally enthralled, like would lose track of any time, anything that I needed to be doing to just enjoy. So that's Gigil. So I think sometimes that practice of joy is making those Gigil receptors more open and sensitive. I think naming and making space for joy and delight is a muscle, right? So cultivating that space to receive joy and delight is actually quite a discipline Um, especially for me, like, you heard with the story about the Miata, like, it took some time, it took some, like, you gotta just let go and release, but it's really this practice or habit of softening, of slowing down, of noticing and being in my body, letting the Spirit of God do her work to bring me out of the pit and clothe me with joy. I'm admittedly terrible at this, but isn't it common to give a sermon that you actually need to hear, right? Right? So naming and making space for joy and delight is like a muscle. It's uh, something that we have to kind of to work on. We have to practice. And I think some of that work is noticing the magic in what is already there, the taste of a ripe nectarine, connecting with a new neighbor when I walk the dog, getting my hands in the dirt at Ruth Street Farm, holding my niece for the first time, hearing my nephew call me Tita Hannah on repeat for hours. <laughs> And I think another piece of it might be taking stock of our lives more holistically and figuring out where things need to change. How can you orient your life so that you labor and live from a place of joy and delight as opposed to obligation and just muscling through? So there's some practices to consider if you would like. So practice naming something that, that delights you or embodies joy for you each day. And maybe it means if this feels hard to you, Grab a friend that you feel like is fluent in delight, and it will rub off on you. Make time for play and laughter, and make some time to stretch your creative muscles. All right. So, we're going to take some time for talk back. I'm going to pray. We're going to take some time for talk back. Um, and I'd love to hear what you have to say. So, I'd like to close with. A rendition of Isaiah 35 made by Cole Arthur Riley, author of This Here Flesh. Then justice will dwell in the wilderness. It will bloom with shouts of joy. My people will abide in a peaceful habitation, in secure dwellings, and in quiet resting places. May it be so. Amen. Thanks for listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. If you want to talk about it or get connected, visit circleofhope.church. You can also find us on Instagram or Facebook at circleofhopenet.